Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is ready to officially acknowledge that the FA Cup is a Mickey Mouse competition. I'm Kevin Day <laughs> and I'm joined by Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, of course I am, and later in the show we will hear from Barry Hearn. My word will we hear from Barry Hearn. There's a lot of hearing going on. He's the founder, of course, and president of the promotions company Matchroom Sport and the former chairman of the League Two club, Leighton Orient. Still angry about the sale of the London Stadium. You'll look forward to that. Um, and generally, all-round interesting uh, chat with a slight undercurrent of menace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we get let's, let's just put it we've, we've labelled him firmly Kieran uh, stay on the right side of him Actually, yeah, it was great. It was great. You just you sort of press the button and off he goes. Absolutely, fantastic. fantastic. Point, Listen to point him in the right direction. Just wait for him to come back. Uh, yes, Kieran, it's a dispiriting weekend. That well, financially ruinous day out. Just uh, what and what a horrible place to go to, Kieran. It's because we don't go there every week, every month, every year that you you think you look forward to. It, you go, we'll go to Wembley, and then you, you turn up, you searched four times. Your balloons are taken off you. It's just, it's just not. I'm sure if we'd gone to the Papa John's final, Kieran, as we were invited to, and we were in Club Wembley, the Royal Box, we'd have thoroughly enjoyed the experience. But as an ordinary fan, it's just an expensive, unpleasant day out. I have to say. Yeah, uh, it's it's the the ro- the romance that that uh, the the media suck up to because they don't have to go through. What we have to do as fans is, is sim- it simply evaporates. That the fun police are there, yeah, within, within about two or three miles away from the ground, and it, it's it's a it's a dumb place to have it because there's not enough facilities around. Yeah. It's not easy to, tra- to to get there from a transportation point of view, as, as we saw with the Manchester United, but with the Manchester City and and Liverpool fans the previous day, um, ill thought out, ill conceived, ill delivered. And uh, it's it's now driven by the fact that the the FA is is desperate to to try to recoup as much of the overspend as possible. They were still desperately trying to sell seats two days before. Palace fans were getting emails from the club and from the FA offering five hundred and fifty pound seats in Club Wembley. Uh, it says you'll be with Palace fans and you'll get a free program. So for five hundred and fifty pounds, I want a lot more than a free program <laughs> that I'm not going to read on the way home because I'm sulking because we lost, uh, which is part of the problem. If we'd won, Kieran, I wouldn't give a toss about the economics of Wembley. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also have to say, if the, <laughs> any of the managers and staff of the Grand Junction Tavern in Harlesden are listening, uh, you run a splendid pub. Thank you very much. It was wonderful. That, that bit was great. It's just getting to Wembley was the difficult bit. But anyway, Kieran. Um, Let's get on with the news, which we have some very interesting news stories before we get into that Barry Hearn interview. And I think it's fair to say that even last night, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were chuntering about the sacking of Sean Dyche. The timing of the sacking of Sean Dyche, Kieran, is is the very least of the, the curious problems with it. It's, it's, a, it's a huge shock, and we believe there must be some financial details behind it, surely. Uh, yes, uh, since the acquisition of Burnley Football Club by uh, the, the new American owners ALK, um, we know that there's been a bit of uh, there's been a bit of bifters between uh, Alan Pace, uh, who is the owner, and some journalists. The ju- journalists seem pretty uh, 
pretty confident that uh, what they've read and what yeah. they've seen with regards to, A, the amount of money that's been borrowed by the club or borrowed by the owners to effectively fund the acquisition, and B, the rates of interest being charged, are quite considerable. Um, I'm under Sean Dyche, and I, 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 I'm a huge Sean Dyche fan because uh, not only I think you find him very personable, not only did the fact that uh, Burnley's league position exceed their their wages league position every year, and yeah, so they they punched above their weights. Um, I think think that two two days after being sacked, he's at a Clone Roses gig, um, <laughs> sort of sort, sort of get going baggy, you know. So uh, yeah, I'm he's, he's gone up in my estimation even more. Um, so so uh, but there are things to be concerned about uh, in in terms of Burnley because there's only four clubs that haven't published their accounts yeah. yet, and and Burnley are one of them. Now they are okay, they're, they're not due legally until the end of April but yeah we're only 10 days away uh, I think those numbers will be uh, will will attract a degree of scrutiny that you wouldn't have expected had they they continued with Sean Dyche at the helm um relegation will it have consequences that that we simply don't know again there have been stories doing the rounds that the previous owners and and the previous owners uh, you know, I, I've, I've said on many an occasion that, that Burnley were the were the best run yeah. of a fourteen club in yeah. the Premier League year in year out uh, because the owners didn't have to put a penny in. Now, now that comes with with consequences, but there, there has been talk that under the terms of the buyout deal, um, do, do the old owners of a Burnley Football Club get a buyback option um, uh, following relegation or if relegation occurs? So. I think it's going to be a very much a watch this space club uh, over the course of of the next few months, and uh, yeah, all I can say is an away fan that yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed it, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see some Burnley fans on on the tenth of May because it's not too far from Accrington. Yes, just and uh, so, and uh, yeah, we we can uh, we we can chew the fat a bit more. We'll talk about the buyback clause in a moment, Kieran, but I, I'm assuming that sacking Sean Dyche now would have cost them a fair bit of money, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, he will have had to be paid up for the, re- the remainder of his contract, and, and, and rightly so. You know, the contract was signed in, in good faith. Um, I, I think if, if, if the stories are true, he was, he was well paid um, yeah. at Burnley because he, he was very much you know, the, the, the leader, uh, the talisman there who, 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 who uh, defined the culture of, of the club in, in terms of the way it played. Um, so that's why it came as uh, such an unexpected shock. And this buyback clause, it's one of those football rumours that everyone seems to know. And you say to people, well, how do you know that? How how can we possibly know what clauses <laughs> are in this contract? But we all think we do know it. So the trouble is, as Burnley fans are saying, this looks like less like a desperate last roll of the dice, as my friend said, to stay, hey. to stay in the Premier League rather than a desperate last roll of the dice to save themselves some money because they don't have to sell the club back for half of what they paid for it. Well, yeah, but we don't know whether they've paid all of the instalments in terms of the buying the club. So, yeah, there oh, are right. there are too many unknowns. And, uh, I mean, to be fair to Alan Pace, he, he has come out with some comments. But the trouble is it's one of those things, because we're tending to hear half stories um, yeah. from from the club, 
if, if you do it that way, it just means, okay, there's, you've told us X, Y, and Z. That means there's 10 things that you've not told us. Um, yeah, transparency, clarity uh, are, are, are really useful to, to put some of these rumors to bed because yeah, we, we, we could be talking absolute nonsense, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not really getting a steer on this uh, from Burnley. And uh, I think I think they would benefit because it would then allow everybody to focus on what's happening on the pitch. And uh, you know, they've they've got a tough gig, as we know, but it's not an impossible one. Well, to be fair, Kieran, our half-assed grasp of the facts hasn't stopped me uh, hosting this for two years. <laughs> well, you correct me and tell me the real facts, and then I get disappointed. Um, I think to, to the logical thing. Uh, now would be for Sean Dyche to take over at Watford. But as we know, the owners of Watford don't work on any logic or sense, (laughs) so that probably won't happen. Um, I think something that has happened that is probably to the relief of many people, not least uh, Manchester's government. Uh, And by the way, if members of the Manchester's government are listening, they may like to turn off before the Barry Hearn interview. There's a, uh, yes, yes, some surprisingly radical things to say about Boris Johnson, uh, which you're not allowed to applaud guests on podcasts, but there you are. Um, the Ricketts family have pulled out of the running to become Chelsea's new owners. Uh, I think from a PR point of view, this is probably a great relief to a lot of people, Kieran, isn't it? Yes, uh, the, the the historic uh, emails that were uh, unearthed from uh, from one of the senior members of the Ricketts family didn't present them in a particularly good way. And uh, you know, as, as I think we we discussed this last week, yeah. it, it's all it, it, it's, it's one thing to say when I was young I was an idiot, and I've yeah you know, I consider myself to be a more rounded and, and educated person these days, and and that's all that's all part of growth. Um, but when the person who said it was uh, was was eighty two, um, you know it, that that's not really much of an excuse, is it? So, um, so yes, yeah, and the 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 Ricketts family being rather coy that they've said that there were uh, there were issues, and, and some some of the some of the the noises I've heard was that uh, that they they weren't uh, they weren't over keen on the terms. Uh, in, in relation to the the acquisition, they they, they had some reservations about Stamford Bridge. Well, then, yeah. then why did you bid in the first yeah. place? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then the, the one which really hit me, some somebody who I who I know quite well connected to to all of this said, um, oh, yeah, and the family were concerned about how how the sales proceeds would be distributed and would it genuinely go to charity? Huh. Now, if 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 you're buying a football club. You just pay the money across. You don't actually. Let's let's face it. You don't give a damn where the money goes to. You know, it, uh, it, it, it's it's it, it's or you might you might like it to go to charitable causes or causes or or, or you know some, some some something which is you know socially and economically benefiting people, especially in terms of what's happening in Ukraine. Ukraine, and and that's great. But um, you to to say oh we we're not sure that we can trust the you know, uh, Her Majesty's government yeah. to distribute the money correctly. That, that's just a smokescreen. That's utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were upset to realise that they couldn't use some of it to finance Trump's next presidential election campaign. But um, we expected Kieran to have heard something more concrete by now. Does this indicate that um, the bank in charge of making the decision are quite rightly taking their time to do so, or, or are there issues that we don't know about? Um, I, I think uh, Rainbank. Do really need to get on with this because you know we're recording this on the twentieth of April. Um, there's a wage bill to be paid in 
just over a week. And, and as we said before, it's £28 million. Now, yeah. we, we saw uh, DCMS or you know, Majesty's Government change the terms of the licence uh, a few weeks ago to allow somebody to put in. We, and we don't know who that person is, but yeah, prob- probably got the initials R&A. <laughs> um, so, so somebody to put in £30 million um, uh, to to effectively fund the the March wage bill, so so presumably you'd want, you know, either he's going to have to do that again, or uh, an awful lot of progress is going to be need to be made in terms of taking the the three parties and now the the Bowley Group have have uh, and, and this seems a strange thing that they've now got George Osborne on board yeah. uh, as part of their package, and I go, well, if, if I was you know in the same way he's a Chelsea season ticket holder, but uh, yeah, if, if I'm trying to present to uh, you know tr- trying to present a beauty parade to the fans, uh, a, to have somebody on board whose most famous achievement is cutting spending is not going to endear yourself to football fans because because it, it's the you know it's, it's the absolute opposite of, of what we like to see. Um, so it, it does seem it does seem a strange one, uh, but uh, I, I think they 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 really do need to start moving at, at some some form of acceleration because. You know, we've got we've got Rudiger out of contract. He's yeah. now saying, "Well, I've, I've got until the thirtieth of June. You know, if, I'm I'm not going to hang around uh, on, on the off chance that a new owner might come in and offer me a decent contract." Mm. So it, it's in everybody's interest that uh, this, this is sorted. The owners and directors test should not be a problem. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, these people are, are all fine and upstanding in terms of their ability to pay. So, so that shouldn't be an issue. Um, and then it's it's just a case of getting the the army of lawyers and accountants to to go through the the small print. Although, to be fair to George Osborne, I think there are probably quite a few Chelsea fans baffled by the notion that parading Sebastian Coe in front of the bank is the way to <laughs> to swing any deal. Basically, yes. <laughs> you know, remember that he had that thing with that bloke from Brighton in nineteen eighty four. Don't don't talk to him about that. It's the, uh, <laughs> um, it was almost painful, Kieran, last night watching uh, Roy Keane have to sit there and listen to Graham Souness tell him that this is the worst Man United team he's seen in decades and having to listen to poor uh, uh, Gary Neville doing the same while Jamie Carragher tried to be sympathetic but simply <laughs> couldn't stop yeah. laughing. And, and the, just the sign of, of Gary Neville when that young lad Hannibal came out at the end and should have been sent off for two yellows yes. in fifteen yes. seconds with Gary Neville going. Oh, at least he's fighting. At least he's. At least he's trying. At least he looks like. <laughs> at least he looks like he loves the club. And you could almost hear Jamie Carragher doing an impression of the kid's hair because that's what he would have been doing. Because that's how childish they are. But uh, Manchester United, in a bid to halt this growing crisis at the club, have appointed. And this is always going to work here, and I think fans will love this idea. They've appointed a team of consultants to begin work on creating a master plan for the redevelopment of Old Trafford. That, that'll get the fans back on side, won't it? Yes, yes. Um, and, and, you know, we've, we've mentioned this on a few occasions. Yeah, uh, Manchester United d- doesn't get chosen by UEFA anymore to, no. to host finals yeah. because, frankly, the, the state of the facilities is, is substandard. Um, as, as somebody that goes there regularly as an away fan, um, I'm six foot three. Um, yeah. Now, okay, as an away fan, you tend to stand up anyway. I can't physically sit down in the yeah. seats because they are so crammed together. It's absolutely awful. Uh, you know, it, we in, in terms of the likes of Spurs, you know, Spurs make 800 grand a match from catering. 
because the the facilities there, um, the ease at which you can obtain food, the number of the the the, the size of the concourses is all is all designed to separating you from your wallet. Well, at Old Old Trafford, it's it's sort of it's just awful. You know, it's, it's just absolutely dreadful. Um, so we, we've got one of these. We've got one of these buzz phrases. Enhancing fan experience, uh, the fan advisory board who w- was set up and then have effectively been uh, kept at arm's length by the Glazers for the last 12 months. I think they, they, they're going to be encouraged to get on board. Um, at the same time, you said, Kevin, that you've been getting adverts from Palace with regards to you know £500 plus tickets to go and watch an FA Cup semi-final. I'm now getting uh, adverts and, and emails from Manchester United to say, uh, do you want to go and spend £160 on, on a regular league game? Uh, so, you know, I think as far as the really? Glazers are concerned, they, they they now have this new tier of sort of it, it's it's quasi-hospitality, individual person hospitality, um, and uh, yeah, this this new fan experience just appears to be an excuse to 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 separate you from from your hard earned. Um, but I, I did I did a little table um, in respect of that the spending on infrastructure by clubs in the Premier League, and you know as far as the big six were concerned, Manchester United were were second bottom. They they were just above Chelsea, but Chelsea's got a far smaller ground. And remember, Chelsea until three yeah, years yeah. ago were actually planning to, to to move to a new ground. So you know that that's certainly an issue for the new Chelsea owners. Um, but you know, one thing I noted from ha- having read the small print of both Project Big Picture and Super League, um, they both had plans to have a, a effectively a central pool of money which would be used for infrastructure projects, and that's why the Glazers weren't willing to spend any money themselves because they thought that, that you know the rest of the the football pyramid or the rest of the the contributors to to Big Picture and uh, and Super League would be paying for Manchester United's expansion, which which I think is sort of just sums up the mentality of, of the Glazers and their cohorts. We- You've lived and worked in the Northwest for many years, Kieran. It's a part of the world that you you love, and you're you're better placed than many people to talk about the culture of football in both Manchester and Liverpool. And this is what baffles me about the Glazers. When we've talked in the past that the Glazers' policy is a deliberate one um, at Old Trafford, because they, all, all they're worried about is that the the tourists, the overseas fans, the the once a season fans, as long as the club shop looks nice and as long as the statue's spruced up and as long as the 1958 light is, is working, that's all they're really worried about. And then they, they have this assumption that the rest of the fans, the rest of the Man United fans, the ones that have only travelled 10 miles to see the games, aren't bothered. But that's just not, that, that shows a lack of understanding of football fans that is is beyond ignorant because of course they're bothered because they're, they're, you know they're, they're Man United fans they they recognise that Old Trafford is getting shabbier and shabbier by the fortnight and they're not they're not pleased about it you know it's the same as Palace fans that tell us we understand it's not the best ground in the world we do notice that we're not trying to pretend that it's a brilliant ground but all we say is that it's our shell and we we're very protective of it and. You, the Glazers just seem intent on alienating more and more Man United fans as each week goes by, and announcing that they're they're bringing in a team of consultants. And what they and, and this is a quote master plan that, that we've got these people coming in to work on the master plan. They must think that Man United fans are complete and utter idiots. And the one thing we've learned in recent years is that Man United fans are not idiots. No, no. I mean, yeah, I yeah, I, I played for 
Trafford Cricket Club for for you know thirty years, and I, I you know I, I was in a I was in a dressing room which was half red, half blue, and you know we we went out as a team, and and you know it, you can imagine what it was like in that dressing room on on match days and so on. Uh, but the the United fans, all local lads, yeah. uh, completely dedicated, as are Palace fans from from your area, as are Brighton fans from our. So it, the, you know, the local fans you know, do do have that extra link to the club, and they the, the, you know when, when I speak to my mates, they, they're just completely dispirited yeah. because they they know that they are being patronised and monetized and and just used as as fodder. For the Glazers to to do very well out of Manchester United, um, and the banks as well. Yeah, remember the banks have made out over eight hundred million pounds in interest charges Jesus, yeah. since since Manchester United were acquired by the Glazers in mm. in two thousand and five, and that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, here's the big question, Kieran. While you're sitting in that half red, half blue cricket dressing room, um, who did the Prowler support? He, he was a Rochdale fan. <laughs> Of course he was. <laughs> oh, I'm pleased to find that the proud lad is the one with most credibility out of all of them. <laughs> um, and and this next story, Kieran, is even is even worse. Now, I know Arsenal fans who would agree with me because yeah. Arsenal, again, this is a quite Arsenal have appointed external consultants to help improve the culture at the club. Well, you could try asking some Arsenal fans before you launch on this really expensive project by asking external consultants to help improve the culture at the club. Yes, yes. So um, th- this is this is trying to rediscover the Arsenal way. Jesus Christ. Um, now, I, I remember Morris at Derby talking about the Derby way when it, trying to justify when he was sacking managers left, right and centre. Um, and, uh, well, you know, look, look, where, look where that man's left the club. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it it sounds it sounds so consultant. So the organisation is called People Made. It's uh, it's it's already started some forums to which Mikel Arteta has taken place, and it's 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 now going to move towards focus groups, meetings, and of course a survey. Of course, yeah, and yeah, um, and, and as far as Arsenal are concerned, they they were fantastically successful under Arsene Wenger, um, and and they and now I think the people at the top feel the, cl- the club started to lose its identity towards the, the end of his reign. Now it started to lose football matches. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that, that's that's that makes the most important thing. Yeah, you know, as, as you were saying earlier, your 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 trip to to Wembley. Um, would have been a thousand times better, and 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 it would have been one of the greatest days in your life if you'd won. Yeah, but if you lose, then you do look around and you go, well, you know, the, these seats are awful. The the way that we're being treated by the police is appalling. Um, the transport links, the queues is is just been ill considered and ill thought out. Uh, yeah, win, winning football matches uh, is 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 a great is a great cure for culture issues and fan experience issues. Yeah, same as West Ham fans who moaned about the new stadium until suddenly they're in Europe and they love the new stadium. I think what what's the name of this consultant company, Kieran? Did you say it's called, it's called People Made? Right. Well, uh, People Made. If anybody from People Made is listening, what I suggest you do is wait till the next time Arsenal lose, and then conduct a survey with Arsenal Fans TV because <laughs> you'll you'll learn all you need to know in a very short space of time. Um, you mentioned Mel Morris in passing there, Kieran, which is something we do every week. And something we do every week recently is take our hat off to Wayne Rooney and hats off again to Wayne Rooney for his comments about Mel Morris after they were 
finally and inevitably relegated, asking in public whether Mel Morris was sleeping that night because he shouldn't be after what he did mm. to the club, which is it's 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 brilliant that Wayne Rooney is articulating what everybody feels because some people, lesser managers, would have just said it's a, that's not a football issue. I, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about the players. But he, the club seems to have got under his skin to an extent that he's a fan now as well. So I, yeah. I would applaud every word he said. Now, talks are ongoing, Kieran, to end the TV blackout on Saturdays at three o'clock, but only for League One and below. And I have to say, Kieran, I'm already slightly baffled by this story because um, watching the football on Bank Holiday Monday, as I was watching the results come in, they show the goals straight away, mm. Mm. Um, immediately, like a second after they've gone in. So there's, this idea that there's actually a blackout for League One on Blow is a bit of a baffling one for me. Well, um, historically, there has been a, a protection order uh, yeah. in terms of Saturday three o'clock kickoffs, and, and the and the rationale behind that is. Uh, if, uh, if, for example, we had Premier League football games being uh, being broadcast live at three o'clock on a Saturday, that's going to impact, first of all, attendances in, in the lower leagues and yeah. the National League, um, which you can understand. And, and also, um, th- th- there was a genuine concern in terms of participation yeah. uh, in football. Yeah, we, we, we all play park football in our time. And uh, I think you and I, I think we probably played Sunday league football because... Saturday after Saturday was always a football day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that that was the rationale, and the the view these days is that perhaps things have moved on uh, in respect of that. Uh, but there doesn't appear to be a lot of pressure from the Premier League or the Championship clubs. But it's interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the things which came out from the pandemic was that the iFollow service, which um, you know, it certainly it certainly had qualitative challenges uh when, when it started up but we yeah, were in a pandemic yeah, yeah. um it it did work for quite a few clubs in in the lower leagues and i think what the clubs in league one and league now two are now considering is would it be feasible to to have streaming using iFollow for away fans so you know, you know we've 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 spoken very fondly of of clubs such as plymouth who who, regardless of where they're playing, because every away trip's a long trip if you're yeah. a Plymouth fan, and uh, they they still turn up in numbers. But um, yeah, would would they be able to 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 generate even more interest if they could use iFollow? I think that's something to take into consideration. Uh, we're living in a time of high inflation, especially in terms of transport costs, which have just gone through the roof. So so that's good from a you know, from a, an environmental, from a sustainability point of view. If um, you could either watch that using iFollow. Or um, the other thing that they're taking into consideration is would they be able to to broadcast the away matches at the home stadium? And yeah, again, yeah. sort of during uh, during the pandemic, I, I went to one match where uh, where I was, I was able to go to, to Brighton Stadium and, and we watched we watched a, a match in in one of the lounges. Yeah, and, and it was great. You know, and and it, it makes money for the club, so yeah, that's that's something to bear in mind uh, in in respect of the League One and League Two clubs. So um, that's that's where we appear to be at present. Certainly, I think it's 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 an interesting subject for discussion, and uh, I think individual clubs will start to to do some number crunching. Um, that they'll have to get the broadcasters on board with it, um, but I, I don't think that uh, that Sky would 
cause too many problems. They they can see the benefits because yeah, ultimately it's going to be it's going to be yeah the sky cameras that are broadcasting what what's uh, what's shown. Yeah, that hat I took off uh, to Wayne Rooney. I'm putting it back on again, so I can take it off to the Middlesbrough fans and the Sunderland fans. Middlesbrough having to travel down to Bournemouth for a lunchtime kickoff on Good Friday, and Sunderland having to travel down to Plymouth for a similar kickoff on Bank Holiday Monday, which is <clears throat> yeah they're in the same division, so they have to play them. But fair play to them for travelling yeah. at an impossible time because the broadcasters decided they were the games they wanted. And also, Kieran, I would like to say that I didn't play on a Saturday because of my love for Crystal Palace, but basically Saturday was a day that good park teams played. That's, <laughs> that's why I didn't play on a Saturday. If you if you were playing, and seriously, if somebody said, oh, he can't come to the game, he's got a game at three o'clock, it's like, wow, you were a good player if you were kicking off at three o'clock as well on a Saturday. Um, to no one's surprise, Kieran, and certainly not you, because you've been telling us this for quite some time, it, it transpires that all six English clubs are still part of the Super League project, thanks to a binding contract that they all signed and seem to have forgotten about. Yes, this is uh, this is rumbling on. Um, I think there's only been one club. I think one of them was it one of the Milan clubs that has actually managed to to extricate itself from Super League. And the reason for that was they had a clause in their contract that Super League had to be approved by their sponsors, and their sponsors didn't approve it. So they they used that as the escape clause. But the English clubs um, who who are being very coy, and we're still getting mm. that. Well, yeah, Super League, Super League collapse, and what's all the fuss about? Um, I, I think the the fact that they are they, they've got the the entrails of this this contract and uh, you know, around their neck still is indicative of just how on board the project they were. Yeah. Um, that whilst they've all, they've all committed to not play in the competition. Do they have to give compensation to Juve, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, who are who are showing no interest in uh, you know disappearing from from this this you know ludicrous plan? Um, yeah, and and also everybody's saying, oh, isn't it good news? It's not good news because the, the Super League clubs have extracted ninety percent of what they wanted. Yeah. From UEFA yeah. in the form of these uh, the Swiss style model. Um, yeah, I'd say it again, how many people do you know? And, and again, you know, I, I, I've lived, I live my working life in Manchester and Liverpool. I don't know any United fans or Liverpool fans or City fans who say, "Well, what we what we really want yeah. is an extra two group games." Yeah. Uh, which which could become an extra three group games if 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 it proves to be successful. Um, so there, there's 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 no consultation with the fans. Um, but if you go to the superleague.com, the website of Super League, which is still there, yeah. um, it's still got this quote from Joel Glazer, which says, "This is a new chapter for European football, world class competition and facilities, and increased financial support for the wider football pyramid." Well. <laughs> if 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 he if he thought it then and, and he's he's still being quoted as saying that now, then one can one can only assume that that is what Joel Glazer's view of Super League is because he's not he's not shown any willingness to to distance himself from those comments and those comments are still on the SuperLeague.com website today. Yeah, you'd think that a man who was boasting about world class facilities wouldn't also be the man that's appointed a team of consultants to begin work on a master plan for redeveloping Old Trafford. One more story to go, Kieran, before that interview. 
uh, and it's based in Europe. It's in Italy. 11 Serie A clubs and 59 individuals have been subject to an accounting investigation, which has now come to an end. Yes, um, this was uh, all to do with price fixing and, and in particular, um, some unusual transfers of players uh, which have taken place in, in Italy, which eventually uh, involved the, the financial police deciding to uh, take, a, take a closer look. Um, and, and I think we've, uh, we've, we've mentioned the, uh, the, the Arthur and Pjanic swap um, of two moderate players from Barcelona to Juve, which resulted in big profits for both clubs, which just happened to help them in, in a in a financial fair play scenario. Um, but so so that that prompted a, a much deeper investigation in Italy itself. But the the conclusion of the police was everything's above board, nothing to see here. Um, and and we can only assume that uh, everybody's happy with what they've seen. Now, Kieran, in one way or another, Barry Hearn has been one of the most influential people in sport in the last four decades. Uh, He's changed the face of sport promotion. Um, He was a long-term football club owner and he was a vociferous opponent of the sale of the London Stadium, which was just free of about 38 things I think we ended up talking to him about uh, or listening to him about, I should say, in this fascinating interview. The champions of grooming are here to save your balls. Let's be real. We all know Manscaped is the world champion of below-the-waist grooming. The Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 will have you feeling sleeker than an otter called Ronaldo. Just make sure you're keeping your Nottingham Forest under control. You wouldn't want to get yourself in a scoring position just to have your Lionel Messi balls blow it for you harder than PSG in the away game. Come, get the best ball products your money can buy earn with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com for 20% off and free delivery on your order. Manscaped gives you the ultimate grooming package for a champion. It includes the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker for your nose and ear hair, multiple ball formulations, a travel bag, and even a pair of boxers. The performance package puts the ball into footballers. And you can't forget about their liquid formulations to keep your balls fresh. And you can't forget about their liquid formulations to keep your balls feeling their best from kickoff to final whistle. Use the Crop Cleanser to clean your body, the Crop Preserver to stay fresh, and their Crop Reviver to give your balls a boost at half time when you're changing ends. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICE OF FOOTBALL. That's all in capitals at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PRICE OF FOOTBALL. Roll with Manscaped and get the championship package for your package. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry 
or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Barry, thank you for joining us. As we said in the introduction, you've changed the face of many sports, but I saw in an interview with The Guardian just a few days ago that you said your job was to be the Robin Hood of sport, to rob the rich. We take from the broadcast and we give it to the sportsman and woman. Tell us about that principle, because obviously robbing the rich is something this pod is very much in favour of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the essence is respect of, of what people perceive your value to be. And we, we live in a life where it's quite a crossroads in sport. You know, the old sport. I mean, football is a sport apart from anything else. Let me say that immediately. Yeah. So you take them out of the conversation because they are 100 times bigger than anything else. But when you come down to golf, cricket, tennis, there's a massive question mark about why we get so keen on these events when, of course, so few people play them. And in some cases, so few people watch them yeah. as opposed to dare I say it, more working-class sports uh, or more sports for the masses that don't sometimes get the respect. So when you do start to get that respect, and in particular the sport of darts is what comes to mind, where suddenly everyone is getting clued up, broadcasters-wise, around the world to say, this sport is doing amazing numbers. Mm. Why haven't Have we got a long-term deal? Do we want to lose it? And that's the time people like me go in and say, let's change the face of the sport. And, of course, to the benefit of those men and women that play that particular sport. And that's where we are, you know, if I walked into a TV station 20 years ago and said darts, I would get a very frowned look. And, oh, you know, fat blokes coming out of pubs with a fag and a pint. Now... I go into any broadcast in the world and say darts, they go, superstars. Yeah. WWE, UFC, sexy, young audience, young demographic, just what we want, Barry. And what do you know? <laughs> they are prepared to pay for it. And my job is to take the money as Robin Hood and then scatter it around. So prize money, for example, on darts in the last 10, 12 years has gone from half a million to this year be knocking on the 20 million door. We are making ordinary people extraordinary. You don't have to worry about using the phrase working class on this pod either, Barry. Kieran and I both still have the residual chips on our shoulder about the way working class sport is perceived. You also said that data equals money. How deep does your analysis go? Well, I mean, the more you could, and I think someone like Amazon will tell you more about this, is the more information you can get about your customer, the more chance you are of being successful. The more chance, because everything's about targeting. You know, there's no point in me advertising a product to, to a, an audience that really doesn't want to know, or an age group or a demographic that doesn't want to know. So I've got to know where am I appealing? Who am I appealing to? What's my key markets? What's my key territories? And this all comes from the collection of data. The more information you've got, the more chance you will produce a product that will warm the cockles of the hearts of the people you're trying to warm the cockles of the hearts of. Mm. Uh, And in particular, you know, in today's world, a lot of sport is financed not just by bookmakers' sponsorship, 
but by bookmakers' payments for streamed events around the world for the data that goes with it, and that generates considerable income if you do it properly. Your sports not only survived the, the pandemic, they almost flourished during yeah. it. What, what did you do differently that other sports weren't able to do? We moved quickly. Um, we're an event company, so we have about 700-plus event days per year globally to organise and we love every second of it. But suddenly COVID comes along and we haven't got any events. This is not a good career move for us, you know. Yeah. Um, so we all sort of sat around in a circle and said, we all held hands and said, take me to the promised land. Um, a lot of sports, when COVID came up, they didn't have the resources. They they don't, most sports don't run proper businesses. They're not very good, frankly. Um, so they put their head in the sand and said, wake me up when it's over. What we did was said, I smell an opportunity. And the opportunity was, yes, we can't have crowds, but it doesn't stop us doing massive number of events behind closed doors, which we can sell at a premium to broadcasters because, guess what, they haven't got very much live sport on. Uh, we can put in some tape noise, try and create a little bit of atmosphere. It is what it is. It's not perfect. But we will entertain the world who are suffering uh, by not having enough sport, live sport to watch, uh, which people so often don't appreciate how beneficial that is to the mental well-being of, of sports fans. So we actually did more events during COVID than we do normally. And although profit was affected by no gate income, uh, a lot of that was actually made up by increased commercial value to broadcasters and and the like. Mm. The, the atmosphere at Dart it's it's amazing, and what what you notice, especially people of our generation who who grew up watching the the, you know, the classics, Eric Bristow, yeah. Jockey Wilson, is you actually see a lot of women in the audience now as well, which is brilliant. But how how has the marketing of sport changed? since you started do you do you approve of people like paddy power who are using humor to to market sport yes oh yes i do i mean i used to hate paddy power in fact i i met paddy power himself once and i was gonna lamp him you know <laughs> because he's like you know i said you're stealing you're stealing stuff that belongs to me you know um, but then you sort of sit back and go do you know what irrelevancy is very relevant because it does promote things in a different way and gets a different level of attention. Mm. We can't be stuck in the old-fashioned ways of, you know, look, when I was promoting boxing, I used to spend a considerable part of some evenings and early mornings sticking up posters outside Whitechapel a tube station. Now, today, Fast Tractor today, we don't even produce a poster today because it's all yeah. done by social media. Yeah. But, you know, Gone are the days of me saying to someone else, or you, you've just plastered your poster on top of my plaster and, mm. and, and all bets would be off, you know. So it's a different world and we have to work on the base of a different world. We have to understand the world we're working in. It's not, And the old guard, frankly, are dead in the market because they won't appeal. And, you know, it's interesting watching some sports try and catch up. The 100 cricket, for example, you know, they're yeah, trying to do yeah. something there. Uh, Racing's had a few ups and downs and, and, and looking to try and get more live crowds in. I welcome all of this and I think we should embrace it. So when we talk about getting a market, it's the, the same rules apply. It's just interpreted in a different way through a different medium. 
Is there still an old guard then in boxing, snooker, and darts? Are there still a residual? Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, there's, there's about 500 people that would go to every show no matter what. Right. And most of them have got, uh, you know, most of them have probably had a little bit of boxing in their life. Um, they're very set in their ways. They love a, They love the traditional left jab. <laughs> but then <laughs> that, that bores me absolutely shitless, you know. Um <laughs> We like a tear-up. We like entertainment, I'm afraid to say. And it's a bit more the UFC model, which has put boxing to shame up to a few years ago before Eddie and his team got involved and decided to save the sport of boxing. Yeah. Take it away from the traditional players like me, uh, Frank Warren, Bob Arum, Don King. These are yesterday. We're all yesterday people. We're, we can try our best to try and pretend we can play the game of today, but actually it's a fraud. We can't because we don't understand it and we don't relate. Yeah. So you put that to one side and you say there's a new market out there and the new market is, you know, the social media whiz kids. I mean, look at some of the fights they've had, which are not very good fights, but they attract a huge amount of attention. UFC has been a massive success yeah. at the expense of boxing. But boxing's coming back now. It's becoming sexy is becoming very white. And, you know, you've got big fights coming up, Tyson Fury, Dylan White, AJ and Usyk. That are global events, and that's a different level, and that brings in a different amount of money as well. So you've got to embrace the future. You can't, you can't just, oh, that's how we always done it in the past. It's such <laughs> a sad routine to listen to, yeah. and it's just totally, they are totally irrelevant. I love that. that that phrase. He likes a traditional left jab. Is now going to be my favourite euphemism for, <laughs> for the next few weeks. It's it's interesting as well how Sky. I mean that Tyson Fury fight. You you can't ignore the fact that's happening because every three seconds, Sky. Yeah, it's on BT, not Sky. But I mean, oh, sorry, BT. Yes, yes. But, but oh, it's, it's a massive occasion. You see, of course it is. And it, and, it may, and it may very well be a very good fight. I'm looking forward to watching it myself. Yeah. I'm a fight fan, but the fact is. You can't ignore it. When you can't be ignored, you have a chance to make your mark on the world. When you can be ignored, what little noise you make is ignored. And that's not a good thing. We're in the basic. It's all about selling tickets and putting bums on seats. And that doesn't mean to say physical attendance at a show. It means an involvement in the show. So whether it's pay-per-view, radio, whatever, digital, streaming, we we need people and and their interests. Yeah, I hope nobody from BT's listened to this because they spent all that money, and I still think it's on Sky. That's a terrible. Yeah, but it, it, well, it is effectively on the Sky platform. There's yeah. your excuse. I mean, BT straddle the Sky platform uh, as part of their pay per view involvement, and and Sky, of course, <laughs> hilariously make money out of BT pay per views. <laughs> How funny is that? But there's no <laughs> escaping the Murdoch is there and the Murdoch's got you. Uh, and and they've spent billions on 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 their software, their hardware, you know, their, their, their structures, and they've made their investment and they're getting paid for it. And that's the essence of business. If you don't make by the way, you know, profit is so important and, and yet it can be so often a dirty word. What we found out during COVID was because we're a profitable company and because we run a proper proper business. We have reserves, things called reserves, you know, real stuff. And that meant we didn't have to reduce prize money to anybody throughout the whole of COVID. That meant we could still carry on doing events and, and give people a living. 
But it's only possible if you run a business with profit in mind because you have to create sustainability. And a lot of people, as was exposed during COVID at various levels, weren't running businesses that had sustainability. So it's just a message from an old chartered accountant. Pay attention to the basic principles in life and you'll do well, my boy. uh, Talking of old accountants, I'd like to bring Kieran in on that, Kieran, because the idea of a football club being run for profit is not something that has occurred to many of them, is it? Well, well, it hasn't. But (laughs) again, I agree totally with what Barry says, that there's no concept of sustainability. And what they do is that they put themselves at a huge amounts of risk pre-COVID. And the industry was in a terrible position to cope with COVID. It it muddled its way through. But we've had this saying on on the show quite a few times, you know, uh, revenue for show, profit for grow, and, and that's what you've got to do. Yeah. You've got to run a proper business in everything you do. But the trouble with football is it's a bit, it runs its own rules. Um, you always think with football there's a disaster waiting around the corner, don't you, for any yeah. club level or any... And, then, of course, when you get around the corner, usually there's someone there to bail you out. And we always say, ah, oh, one day there won't be. But who knows? Football is a one-off exception. But... Rather than just concentrate on football for making profit, look at all the other sports that have no reserves, no sustainability plans, no disaster scenarios. And they're the ones that are trouble, which is why COVID, you know, there's going to be a massive change in sport, in my view, in the next 10 years. A lot of sports, the youngsters that are coming through today are not going to want to go in the nets, are not going to want to go on the driving range. They're not going to want to spend enough time to be good because they want faster attention, they've got you know they want faster entertainment value if you like. They don't want to pay a price for it, uh, and it will be restricted on social demographic levels and territorial boundaries, north and south as well. Yeah. I, I'm 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 really concerned on the future of participation in sport, whereas I think the growth of streaming and the growth of uh, television coverage of sport will grow and grow and grow. But I think there'll be a lot less people playing sport, which is worrying. It is very worrying. It's something we've talked about on the pod a lot. But let, let's focus on football for the moment, Barry, because you you were chairman of Leighton Orient from 1995 to 2014. Yeah. And then you were president um, mm. for a couple of years. And you resigned over the behaviour of the new owner, Francesco Bacchetti. What happened there? Well, he was useless. I mean, it was <laughs> so annoying because... And, and I think probably I felt guilty as well, you know, when you have a football club, it takes you a long time to realise you're not really the owner, you're really only the custodian. Yeah. Um, so you have, a, you have a duty to make sure its welfare is protected. In my view, <laughs> uh, I needed to get out because after 19 years, I was going mental in football. Um, desperately wanted to be successful. And I realised the only way I could be successful was to risk my family's financial welfare, which I wasn't prepared to do. So I found this, I have to say, quite crazy Italian billionaire, um, not necessarily my, my favourite type of person, to be honest. Um, <laughs> had to be restrained a few times during negotiations, but eventually he did convince me that he was going to put enough money into Lake Norin. And fans only want money. They don't, you know, yeah. they love they love you when it's good. They hate you when it's bad. But they, they basically don't really care about the financial stability of the club, for the most part, generalising again. 
Um, and Bichetti was going to put in enough money to take us to the promised land of wherever we wanted to go. And indeed, he did put in a significant amount of money. We had the highest wage bill of any club in our division, and we probably got relegated two divisions in the next two years because he knew nothing about football. That's why he was a strange man. I couldn't understand why someone intelligent enough, presumably to have made a fortune, was so unintelligent that he wanted to lose it equally as fast. <laughs> One of the questions, Barry, that we are asked on a very regular basis on our pod is still is about West Ham's deal yeah. with the Olympic Stadium. And as of six days ago, in an interview you gave to The Sun, you're still not happy about that, are you? Why not? Well, I can't be happy with it because it was complete incompetence on behalf of governments and central administration. Um, we had a massive national asset uh, called the Olympic Stadium. Originally, when it first came up, the, the Labour Party, through Ken Livingstone and Tessa Jowell, were earmarked that, that stadium to be stripped down to a 25,000-seater and then given to Lake Norian as the community yeah. club in the spirit of the Olympic dream. I thought that was wonderful. But then some idiot suggested that we should have athletics there as well. And enough about Seb Co because it really drives me mad every time I think about it. Totally irrelevant, of course. You know, even athletics didn't want it. You know, no one can afford it. It's, you know, unsustainable again, you know, cloud cuckoo land. One or two meetings a year, huge amount of work to get the stadium ready. Come on, you know, get a life. But anyway, when they told me that the Olympic Stadium would have to have an athletic stable around it. I was out. I don't dislike my Lake Norrient fans enough to give them football with an athletic stadium in front. And, of course, so it proved to be correct. Eventually, they got some sort of seating uh, worked out. But the cost of that stadium has escalated to beyond £700 million. And then suddenly... Boris Johnson and his crew had the great idea of that premiership football was the only thing that was going to work there. And they then proceeded to virtually give the stadium a taxpayer's asset to a commercial entity. And I, I thought on a point of principle, I tried to fight it. I spent over a million pounds on legal fees. I lost in the end because I didn't have any, you know. And, and by the way, good luck to West Ham and good luck to the fans and good luck to the owners for pulling off the coup of the century. Yeah. But don't ask me as a taxpayer, you know, I make a couple of quid. I do pay a bit of tax. And by the way, I don't pay tax abroad. I pay all my tax in the UK. Um, <laughs> and I, I got upset with it because they were given that ground and I wasn't. And I thought, if there's bungs going on, bung me. <laughs> because I need it more than West Ham. Yeah. The obvious answer was, which was so annoying, was let's do a ground share, Lake Norian and West Ham. So you've got yeah. a lower league, you've up league. We can do more for the local kids. We can give away free tickets, whatever. Orient's not a challenge, although we'd love to be a challenge to West Ham. You know, but it made a lot of sense in the Olympic spirit. But you know what? When things like the, when money comes into it, the Olympic spirit suddenly doesn't get discussed anymore, and it, and the sheer hypocrisy of the whole situation upset me. I went to see Boris. I told him he was bang out of order, and he didn't take any notice. Uh, so you don't you don't resent the people who pulled off the coup so no, much as the people that allowed no. that to happen. Right. No, listen, every day of the week I do deals that suit me. Yeah. Selfish, I am, and you know I don't blame them for being 
much, much brighter than Boris and his team <laughs> because it wasn't a fair fight. If that had been the British Boxing Board of Control, would never have sanctioned that contest. It wasn't fair to put Karen Brady against the LLC. It wasn't. It was horrible. It was a mismatch. It was like, stop the fight, throw the towel. And Boris just wanted to get the problem off his desk. He didn't really care. He didn't care at all. But, you know, hypocrisy is not something that's new to politicians of either side, is it? Yeah. Somebody said at the time that negotiating with Boris about football was like being in a battle of wits with an unarmed man. Well, I said to Boris, if I wanted a conversation about Greek mythology, (laughs) you would be my chosen friend. But if I wanted a conversation about common sense, I wouldn't even be in the same room. And there there was talk at the time of of maybe allocating the hockey stadium to Orient. Was that that ever a goer or was that just talk? No, I think it was just talk. I think they were just trying to get rid of me. They, right. did, they, they did a good job on me, really. I mean, I quite enjoyed it. They did a great thing in the House of Lords on the select committee that has no power and it's a total waste of time going. But it was just going through the motions. They'd already decided. So West Ham were allowed to sell their ground. They paid £15 million of the proceeds to the government. Yeah. And that was their only capital contribution to a £700 million stadium. Now, the joke of all this is, of course, that I believe it's illegal under European law anyway for state sponsorship of commercial activities under the uh, competition laws. None of the other premiership clubs picked this up because West Ham had a massive advantage. Unlike Arsenal, unlike Tottenham, they didn't have to spend hundreds of millions of their own money. They got given it. And they also got given a 99-year lease or whatever on a rental deal which lost money to operate for the operator. So no operator can ever make money out of that stadium. It will be a burden around the taxpayer's neck forever. Yeah. An escalating burden at that. And as a taxpayer, I object, but my objections were not listened to. Yeah. And did it make life even more difficult for Leighton Orient in terms of competing with... No. The, you know, that was the one thing that I... Yeah, I thought it would originally, and it didn't at all. And that's a, that's a well, that, that's something that you know more about than me. Is the loyalty of football fans knows no barriers, knows no bounds, and actually, in some ways, the club at Lake Norton actually gathered together more okay. in the in the competition. I thought it would be look, there's Premiership football a mile away. And we're going to lose all the kids because they want to see Manchester United, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't actually work like that. Our gates have not suffered. Um, but I still think we could have done better for the community. Had the two of us, and, and we're both sensible people, the Sullivans and the Golds and, and whatever, you know, we're, we're all sensible. I think we could have done a really good job together on that as mm. the Olympic community stadium rather than West Ham Stadium. But as I say... You can never people in people in life are selfish. They want to do the best deal for themselves, and that's that's human nature. You can't blame them for that, and I don't blame anyone connected to West Ham fans or owners. I don't blame them at all. I think it raises a lot of questions on who's running the country. But there we are. That's another point. <laughs> I would, yeah, don't start us on that. Just, oh, we no. are, we've only got a few minutes left, um, <laughs> Barry. You've, you've used your imagination to change the way that snooker, darts, fishing is branded and broadcasted. Are there similar changes you'd make to football? Not really, no. I think, as I say, I think football's a one-off. 
it is what it is. Um, the only change is I, I'm, I'm desperately disappointed, but not surprised that there's very there's less and less UK ownership of the national yeah. game. I think the government really should have again. I, I don't want to be too critical all the time of government because it gets a bit boring. But I, I, I get bored with seeing politicians want to have their pictures taken with famous people and then not doing anything about it for the good of the game. You know, whether it's cricket or football, or whatever. When when I look at football, I think the, the the income levels are selfishly apportioned, and I don't blame the same as West Ham. I don't blame the Premiership clubs for wanting all the money because I, if I was a Premiership club, I probably would as well, but I'm not. So therefore, I can be fair. And basically, there should be a much better apportionment of money, and it's never going to be achieved unless the government take action and appoint what I believe they should have done years ago, and that's an ombudsman to carry on football. An ombudsman with the power to say to an owner, no, you're not going to be an owner of this football club. The power to say ticket prices are not going to go to that level. The power to say, look, 25% of your, 20% of your overseas income will now be distributed to lower league clubs and grassroots clubs because you have an obligation to pay your way in the same way as individuals pay their way with escalating rates of tax. Nothing wrong with that. There should be a special tax on premiership football and that should be distributed to grassroots. All of these things are not necessarily popular with football clubs, but I don't want a free ticket to go and watch Premier League football. I want to see the national game come forward and be well financed at every level. And it's possible, but someone's got to pick up the the thorny nettle and say, no, mate, this is not happening. And you've got to say it to overseas investors who are not used to not getting their own way. So the time is now, Boris. Ombudsman. Ombudsman. Barry, I I have to say this. If you if you were the owner of a Premier League club now, would you still be as enthusiastic about the no. idea of an ombudsman? <laughs> okay. Of course I wouldn't. Of course I But you know what? I'm not the owner of a Premier League club. Yeah. Well, I, I, listen, the one thing when you get to my age, coming up 74 in June, you tell the truth. And the truth is we're all selfish individuals, but there's more of us that don't own as there is that own. So, therefore, yeah. we can all look at the national game and say, what's best for the national game? And that question needs to be answered because at the moment we're letting – I mean – some of the rules are a joke, but we won't go there. But we're letting virtually anybody with a pile of money come in yeah. and, uh, and seduce us with their with their with their zeros and their M's. So we got to live with that. But let's have some control, shall we? Let's have a little bit of control because we're all made to look a bit stupid when it goes tits up, aren't we? And it does go tits up on lots of football clubs. Suddenly, someone who's come in and the fans on day one. A bit like even Bichetti at Lake Norin. It's only just a different level. The fans greet them like the long-lost son. They are going to achieve their dreams. But 99 out of 100 times, it ends in tears. Yeah. Two more quick questions for you, Barry, as I know we have time constraints. You you talk about the effectiveness of, of YouTube and other social media in promoting boxing. Is that something football should be looking at? Because I mean, we've, we've seen basically amateur YouTubers making a fortune out of fights that they shouldn't be allowed to have, haven't they? <laughs> well, listen, I don't know about it shouldn't. It's the freedom of the individual to do whatever he wants. 
if we buy it or we pick it up or we watch it, well, then it's relevant. Yeah. Don't, don't start sounding like a yesterday person. So, <laughs> no, football is so big in the industry. Look, every kid kicks a ball around. Every kid goes in the garden, up against the lamppost or whatever you want to do. It's a national obsession. So there's not that many changes you want. You just want it run better for more people. In other words, we need a little bit more socialistic, and I'm not talking politics now, I'm talking, but we need a more socialistic approach where we share, where the, the haves share a bit more with the have-nots because we're all in the common cause and we're all part owners by our residential address of the national game. We are from the United Kingdom. We started football, we love our football, we love our club, we moan about it all day, we've all got an opinion on it, we're never right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's the strength of the country that revolves around sport and football is the cheerleader. Nothing unifies a nation more than mm. sport and nothing and no sport unifies more than football. Yeah. You've only got to see what European World Cup and all that. Look at the different atmosphere. Look at the streets. Look at the – that's how important it is. And we, we don't sometimes treat it with enough respect. Yeah. The title of this episode, Barry, is, is definitely going to be Barry Hearn Socialist. That's, that's well, a, I am. I am a, I'm a socialist right-winger. But when you say right-winger, right so slightly to the right of Genghis Khan, <laughs> but with socialistic overtones. Uh. Uh, finally, Barry, we, you know, you're still playing cricket at the age of 74. As you said, your your wife bred a brilliant horse called Subjectivist to win the Gold Cup at Ascot. But is, is there one sport that you think is crying out for the sort of makeover you've given to others? Because I love, I love my horse racing, especially national mm. hunt racing. And it's it, it needs something to happen. You talked about the old guard before. The old guard is still strangling racing. Yeah. And it, it, but I think it, it, it may be too late for the old guard to change in racing because really? it's very much a it's it's very much a, a traditional sport and and the, and it's not. I mean, I would take over racing. The first thing I would do is I'd organise a national strike because and I'd say to the bookmakers, "You're going to pay me a lot of money, mate. Otherwise, you're out of business." Yeah, and, and but they never do that. My wife has so many horses in training, and when I say that to her, she we can't do that. What about if a if a good race comes up for one of mine? They're all selfish. They're old school. Yeah. Most of them old school money, which is not good. A lot of them fur coat, no knickers, which doesn't mean <laughs> they, they don't want to be absolutely devastating. Me. I like a fight because I, but I do like a fight I can win. I don't think you can beat the traditional side of horse racing, right? Uh, and it is a very expensive one to get involved in. There's lots of sports that need not just my Midas touch. They need a bit of common sense. But again, you know, we, we do live in a world where people dream of gold medals without realising that the person that sacrificed their life to win one yeah. now goes hungry, which doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Uh, Barry, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, I wish you well with the book um, and with uh, all, all your imaginative efforts with the other sports you're involved in. It's been fantastic. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Good to talk to you, boys. I love that interview, Kieran. For those of you listening who want to hear more information and more opinion from Barry, his new book, his autobiography called My Life, has just come out, and I presume that's one of the reasons he so readily agreed to come on our pod, Kieran's. I don't think he would have come near us otherwise. But I, I, there are three things, Kieran, 
that that struck me. I mean, many things. I, we talked about participation sport earlier, and he was very passionate about that that disappearing. But mm. the three things, Kieran. He, <laughs> I love the notion that he describes himself as the Robin Hood, like ro- taking from the rich to give to the poor. Was I, I went and reread the stories off the back of that, and there's no mention in any of those great medieval stories of Robin Hood charging fifteen percent commission to <laughs> redistribute that, <laughs> making himself rather wealthy in the first place. Also, the fact that he's one of the most successful businessmen this country has produced, as as he told us, and yet being the owner of a football club drove him mad after a certain amount of time because he said it's just an impossible job. But also something he said, that, uh, which just shows how difficult it, things are for football because he gave that passionate speech about football needs an ombudsman. It, it's got to have somebody who has power, who can just stand up to the clubs and say, no, you can't buy that club, you can't pay that wages, you can't charge. And yet at the same time, freely admitted that if he owned a football club in the Premier League, he would fight tooth and nail to stop there being such a person. And that's part of the problem for football, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it, 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 it is the paradox that um, self-interest is not in the interest of the game as a whole. Um, and... When, when you talk to people at clubs, they'll openly admit that, um, and they say, "Well, you know, why, why, why shouldn't we do what's what's in our best interest?" Because you know, households do it on an individual level, and uh, you know, uh, other other organisations do. So, why should that not apply to us at football clubs? And I think this is the th- this is what distinguishes, in my view, football from other industries. In that, if somebody does try something with a business and it fails. Then, um, then yeah, no, nobody's happy that a business goes bust. But football is unique because there is no substitute. You know, if if Palace yeah. go bust, you're, you're not going to pop down to Millwall or Charlton or no. Brighton, no. You know, and, and vice versa. Yeah, it, and, and it is such an embedded part of of our lives that that warrants the the protection of the game from people who see it as another opportunity to gamble in, in, a, in, in a business style. I also love his honesty as well when he says he's got nothing against uh, the West Ham trio mm. who got everything out of that deal because he said it was obvious Boris Johnson was a mug and I wanted to be the one who took advantage, Yeah, uh, which is you kind of, oh, that's big of you, Barry. Well done. Um, tickets are now on sale for the second Price of Football Live on Tuesday, May the 10th at the Wham Stadium. I should say some tickets are now on sale because a lot of them have already gone. Uh, Wham Stadium, of course, home of Accrington Stanley. Click on the link in the description of this episode or look at our social media feeds to get your tickets now. Um, I would look at Kieran's social media feed. Um, no, I, can't, I don't know how to put those things up. I really Ali, Ali keeps telling me I've got to change my whatever they call it on the Twitter page so it mentions Price of Football. I don't know how to do it. Uh, and Ed, Ed, Ed's reached the stage where he says, no, you've got to learn. Uh, that's too late. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who has donated to our pod via our Patreon page, like Tony Seagull. Really? Really? <laughs> Tony Seagull? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Tony Seagull, for donating to the pod via our Patreon page. And Tony Seagull says, it's really informative and I love the interviews. Great pods like yours stand or fall based on their content. So well done for keeping it going for more than two and a half years. 
that, that, that strikes me as being damned with faint praise for a little bit at the end. Well done for keeping that going. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it's exactly what we say to each other, Kieran. Well done. Yes. Well done <laughs> if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air pod, then please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, uh, just hours before both our teams face tricky trips to the north, I shall leave you in the... Customary hands of uh, Mr. Kieran Maguire for his usual farewell. Well, thank you, Tony Seagull, uh, for, for uh, supporting us on Patreon, which for as little as one pound a month, folks. Um, and but if you if you want, if you want to support us a different way, if you just want to send us some some positive and groovy vibes, um, one of the ways that you can do that is by going onto your uh, app for podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is, and and giving us a review uh, because it helps us in the charts. Um, if you can give us five stars, if you think we're worth it, that's that's very kind of you, um, and and that goes into some form of algorithm which uh, which producer guy does understand, and myself and Kevin, we just nod when he tells. Tells us about it, and we, we but, we, but, but we nod in an appreciative way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're um, good at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it th- doesn't matter what you say. You could say you would rather you would rather the show was presented by Elmer Fudd and Wayne Hussey of <laughs> the Mission, because I'm going to see the Mission on Friday night. Uh, if if there's any, anybody there that uh, listens to the show, c- come along and say hello. You, you'll you'll recognise me. I'll I'll be wearing black. <laughs> You'll be the tour. This is, this is. I'm laughing, Kieran, because it, it, uh, you know I'm happy to share these little insights to our lovely loyal listeners. But literally, the first thing Kieran said when we logged in to to talk to each other was, "I'm going to the mission on Friday." He's like, okay, great, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> I, I I worked out who the mission was. I'd love Elmer Fudd. I'd love to see Elmer Fudd. He was a. I, do you know what? I used to really admire the optimism of Elmer Fudd because he kept going, <laughs> even though he was outwitted by a bunny every week and ended up shooting himself in the head more times than was healthy. He still kept coming back for more. I like that about him. God love him. Just for the voices alone, Elmer and Wayne hosting this would be fantastic, wouldn't it? (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, son, for the